You're listening to Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. We're interviewing marketing leaders to discuss how they're using customer data to bring more deeply personalized experiences to market. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Data Unlocked podcast. In this podcast, we explore ways in which data drives creativity and innovation for marketers, and we explore that with the best and brightest in the industry. My name is Jason Davis, founder and CEO of Simon Data, a growth platform driving smart marketing for brands like JetBlue, TripAdvisor, Equinox, and BarkBox. I'm excited to have Josh Curl as co-founder and CTO of HighTouch on our podcast here today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks, Josh. Kicking things off, you founded HighTouch a couple of years back, and you know, really the business has seen tremendous success and tremendous interest as well for the category more broadly. Congrats. But I'd love to get a bit into your founder story. In particular, what are some of the basic problems that you saw and really relative to this podcast? Where do you see people getting stuck with data and what opportunity do you see that people could really unlock with you know, better data capabilities? Yeah, definitely. So the reason why we really started this idea in particular and why we were really excited about the idea of reverse ETL and high touch was we saw that data warehouses have really changed a lot in the last couple of years. Like obviously Snowflake and BigQuery and so on, they've become much more prolific across a lot of organizations. And then the way that they're being used, uh, we thought that there was more opportunity to leverage the data from warehouses and even more applications. And so what's happened over the last couple of years is increasingly that's become the source of truth for most data and analytics for most companies. And so Data warehouses contain lots of data that's typically being used to drive analytics and reports and so on. But increasingly what's happened is there's these unique data points and insights that are locked inside the warehouse that you can service through a BI tool and through analytics and so on. But the goal of HighTouch really is to use those insights and data points for more operational use cases, the so driving day-to-day value, driving action rather than analytics. And so really like what the big change around like what we're doing with first ETL is not seeing the data warehouse as a place to just dump data and do analytics. But really moving that warehouse to the center of a pipeline where high touch is the layer that allows you to take data from the warehouse and send actions and data into downstream SaaS tools. And so it's really about taking your new source of truth and bettering that new SaaS tools. And so it really depends a lot like what kinds of SaaS tools you're using around like why you would need better access to data. If you look at the sales teams and B2B and so on, it's really about having your go-to-market team just have more information about how your customers are engaging with their brand and using your products and so on. Obviously, always having more rich data available in Salesforce and so on is just really beneficial to a sales org. And then the marketing teams, you know, having better access to attributes about customers that are being defined by data analysts and data teams in the warehouse directly available in your marketing tools, which allows you to do much more fine-grained personalization, which means you can do better ad campaigns, better personalization, better email campaigns, and so on. So really, like we'd like to think about this like data activation, where you have data at rest in a warehouse, but to actually use that data you need to sync it out of the warehouse into a system where you're actually doing day-to-day operations with your customers. Yeah, 100%. And maybe you can talk a bit more about the before and the after. Customers, before they use high touch, what were some of the pain points? And then after, what did that look like? Yeah, so I think the before is that these pain points manifested in two different ways. One was lack of access to data. And then the other one is having to spend engineering time to fix that underlying problem. And so in a lot of organizations that don't have access to data engineering resources to build these kinds of pipelines, this manifested as not even being able to run some of these campaigns in the first place. You just have less granular and less useful data in your SaaS tools. For the organizations that have the privilege of having a good data engineering team and resources available that can pull in to solve these kinds of problems, the status quo was really building scripts and pipelines from different sources into different downstream tools. And so the status quo before is really APIs. Everything is APIs to ingest data. 
And that's sort of like the like existing interface where you just have to build on top of those APIs and then build those pipelines yourself. And then the after really is that you're able to get both of those problems fixed where you have much better rich data in the downstream tool, but the level of abstractions moved up a little bit where instead of having to think about APIs and actually having to write scripts to load data into it, with high touch reverse ATL, you could just think about data mappings. I have this data in the warehouse and I want it to be inside the tool and then the data flow and all the intricacies of dealing with the API are actually handled behind the scenes by a reverse ETL platform. And so like the after really is you can actually go into a tool like HighTouch and then add new field mappings, add new data actions and so on. And you can do that with all, without engineering effort. And so the after is really great data available in your tools without having to actually spend engineering resources to doing that. You said something that really sort of struck a chord with me when I sort of think about the Simon data strategy more broadly, and that's this notion of data mapping. Really, one of the things that we stand for and we focus on primarily is really one of enabling marketing and non-technical stakeholders to access the data in a way to drive marketing segmentation, personalization that is data-driven, and other aspects of omnichannel coordination, all which originated from all forms of customer and first-party data. And one thing that I'd love to pick your brain on is this notion of mapping. Our perspective is ultimately in order to unlock the value of data from a SaaS application, the application actually has to have a rich data model to make sure that it can ingest data at the granularity of the customer. If as an example, if your application only has 12 fields on the customer and your data warehouse has 1,000, you're going to have to figure out which of those 12 to keep or how to reduce 1,000 into a small subset of that. So really, when I think about how reverse ETL plays in with a solution like Simon Data, which specifically focuses on some of the activation, the enablement aspects of marketing. It really sort of starts with the ability to represent the data at a granular level and really make sure that mapping that happens in high touch and a reverse ETL application is as one-to-one as possible. And by one-to-one, I mean all the work that happens through data centralization and aggregation, whether it be in Snowflake or a different data warehouse or data platform, can be transformed when loaded in a way that doesn't lose a whole bunch of information on the customer, whether it be customer behavior, their historics, or how they may have interacted with their last support request. But when you look at this more broadly across some of the SaaS applications in the category, how do you see this affecting SaaS downstream from you guys? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And I think a lot of it depends on what the capabilities and the vision is of the downstream SaaS platforms. If you look at tools like Salesforce, they have really built a solid platform which to build things like custom objects, custom fields, and their capabilities are actually quite robust and it's really built to ingest large quantities of data. And so that's a good platform. They've really done a good job and like everything under the hood is built quite well. And so let's take a B2B example where we're syncing data into Salesforce. We can do things like attributes onto users, contacts, accounts, and so on. But we can also just sync custom objects that are just completely adjacent to users into Salesforce. And I think that platform allows you to have a bit more like a rich data model within the platform. That being said, it still can't ingest and hold and, and query the, the quantity of data that a warehouse can. Warehouses are really just meant to handle very complex data, data models and run very bold queries. So even though we can sync a bit more into Salesforce, you still wouldn't be able to do like analytics directly inside of Salesforce. Otherwise, you wouldn't need Snowflake. Other systems, I think, you know, primarily in the marketing space, like you refer to, but most marketing systems, they have a concept of users. Sometimes they have a concept of accounts. Sometimes they have custom objects in the case of like Marketo, but especially in B2C marketing, like what you mostly have is really just like a user's table that have custom attributes. Um, so if you want to do some kind of query where you have like, let's say a user who has an item in a cart that's low in quantity, to run that kind of segmentation, you actually need a pretty robust data model. You have to have the concept of products and inventory and the users. That's something that's a bit better to be done inside of the data warehouse and then sent down to the downstream application as a trait saying that this user has an item in their cart that's low in quantity. 
And so it's sort of like this flattening of the data model that goes on from the warehouse to the downstream tool. And when you do that flattening, you lose some of the granularity of the data. So you're still allowed to activate on it, but you lose some of the granularity. And that's just kind of like that round trip is sort of like, you know, like what we're trying to fix a little bit with CTL, where instead of having to change the data pipeline to do these, to push new attributes, you know, just have to like change a mapping in the UI. So it lowers the friction dramatically. And then also with high touch audiences, which is our goal there is to make that even easier, where if you have a simple request on top of data in the warehouse, a marker should be able to like self-serve some of those data points. But ultimately there is this flattening that occurs between the warehouse and the SaaS tool for most, especially marketing applications. Yeah, and the card example is actually a great one relative to where we see sort of the future of marketing engagement and personalization heading. Certainly, you can abandon a cart with a single item, but oftentimes when people abandon carts, there are multiple items in the cart. And if your abandonment strategy is to highlight a single item in the cart that is most likely to get you to come back to the site, there's this selection problem of really you know, understanding which of the items is going to be out of highest leverage and will drive the most intent to get the customer to come back, re-engage with their shopping experience and ideally check out. And within our platform, we have capabilities that can leverage machine learning or heuristics for that matter. You know, if you buy a toy and then a, a couple sets of batteries, you know, generally the more expensive item in you know, that context will be the one preferred. But again, it, it can really change from business to business and application to application. So ultimately, when we sort of look at the power of data, it's really a matter of making sure that the specificity and the precision is available in the tools such that the business owner can apply the understanding they have of the domain to make sure the data is used in the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How are leading brands using data to bring more deeply personalized experiences to market? Find out on Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. You can listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale. Maybe we can spend a few minutes just talking about this more general theme of operational analytics and what that means. I'll sort of maybe talk a few minutes about one of my founding stories. And prior to Simon, you had a business that was acquired at Etsy. And one of the big things we saw there was to empower non-technical stakeholders or even to empower non-data scientists or non-analysts. Data was most compelling when it tied very directly to some key operational outcomes. We found that if you can couple an experimental capabilities with the deep reporting and insights together, then you could get folks in a marketing team or a product team for that matter to run a whole bunch more experiments. And at Simon, for us, it's not about identifying customer segments on their own, but it's actually about using those segments and all the data required to construct them in operational marketing capacities to target folks who have bought toys before, wherever that might be. So maybe you can talk more about the shifts you're seeing and how the data warehouse is evolving out of just one of being analytical, which is the question of how many folks bought a particular type of item last year to being much more operational, which is, hey, now that Valentine's Day is coming and coming up, let's identify everyone who bought between January 14th and February 10th last year is something within one of these 12 categories that are Valentine's Day related. Yeah, I think the term operational analytics is actually still relatively new. And so I think a lot of people might identify a bit more like terms like data activation or things like that. But I think the term will mean a couple of different things depending on like what type of business you are and like what department you're in within an organization. So if you look at B2B companies, I think a lot of times operational analytics is really about empowering different go-to-market facing teams with additional access to customer data and using that to drive day-to-day operations. So just by having more data available and within Salesforce, you can do things like programmatic creation of opportunities based on success indicators within your products. If you think about customer success, for example, you could look at things like health scores that 
In reality, health scores are actually very complicated. You know, that's being that's a very complicated formula that's actually best calculated in the warehouse where you have access to the full data model. You have the power of SQL and data analysts to compute these kinds of health scores. And then operational analytics in that context means being able to put those health scores in a system where you can take action. So that could mean, you know, creating tasks for CSM within Asana, tasks within Salesforce, Slack alerts, like those kinds of things. Like being able to take not just compute and look at aggregate trends in health scores, but also use it to drive day-to-day operations of your team. So taking action on it, like syncing that into other systems. And then like a marketing context, you know, it means taking things like LTVs that are being defined in the warehouse or, you know, other traits about customers that are really complicated formulas being defined in the warehouse and being used to do things like drive ad campaigns, retention campaigns, and so on. So it's really about that data action and like what operational analytics is like really about is analytics is good. Being able to use analytics to drive action is much better. Yeah, that's great. I guess one question that we can talk about briefly was really where you see the data warehouse heading and your strategy for that matter around real time. So historically, the data warehouse has you know, been a system that five years ago would refresh once a day, you know, a few years ago we might refresh once an hour, now we're maybe once a minute, but there aren't many applications that are successful that are sort of in the second or certainly sub-second range. So where do you see all that heading and how does that fit in with your worldview and, and whatnot? Yeah, I think there's the tech behind warehouses is, is constantly evolving. And so I think when you drill into like, what does real time mean? I think people have very different definitions depending on what their actual business requirements are. So some things when people say real time, they mean I want to send a password recovery email immediately when somebody clicks a button like that sort of thing, right? So like there is real time where it should be like near instantaneous. And then there's other things where people think about real time as not daily, like within an hour, within every half hour, within every even 15 minutes. And those kinds of latencies building off of the warehouse is actually much more approachable than it used to be. And that's really kind of due to the technological changes with Snowflake and BigQuery, where just because of the way that they're architected, it's a lot cheaper to load large quantities of data within them. They're also using shared compute across all their customers, which means you get to enjoy like a lot lower costs. And they can also do data transformations faster. All these things combined means that what you can do is actually have the data and insights from the warehouse being loaded into SaaS tools much faster and much cheaper. So we see customers doing things down to five to 15 minute latencies like very often um, for like more latency sensitive use cases. And then I think that's sort of like the status quo today. And I think there are cases where you can go lower, but really like that's like the most common range. I'm excited because I've seen like even more innovation around data warehouses that allow us to push even further. And companies I'm like really just intrigued by and like really excited to see more often in our customer base are tools like Materialize where you get a lot of the benefits of the warehouse that you can use very advanced SQL joins and formulas being computed by data analysts, but their technology allows you to capture the changes to data in near real time. So they'll actually send you a feed of changes that will allow you to do it much faster. And so those kinds of, that kind of functionality might also be rolled out to data warehouses in the future where you can define a formula for an LTV. And then as those formulas change based on incoming data, we can capture that and actually do it much faster. And so I think there's a lot to come in terms of streaming capabilities within these systems, but I think things today are much better than people would expect. Yeah, I agree. I sort of a couple reactions there. One is, I think your point around being use case driven is critical. So often folks will say they need real time. And unless you actually really map it back to the business requirements, it's hard to know what that means. And oftentimes, you know, folks when they say real time less than an hour is, is more than sufficient. Yeah. Um, so it really does mean different things to different people. And ultimately, our worldview, at least within our platform, is there are certain applications where we can certainly support very low levels and low latency real time. But again, the set of use cases where that's applicable is more limited. If you look at the broader problem of thinking about defining customer segments relative to 
a business that has 20 years of operating experience, there's no need for real-time capabilities around something that happened you know, months ago. So it's really critical when thinking about architectures and, and technology investments and cost investments for that matter, to be thoughtful around where to make those investments and where it just doesn't matter. The other sort of observation, which for me, I'm just personally very excited about where data is heading is with tools like Materialize. I do think today, if you look at the data warehouse and SQL, it's a standard. Almost every business with any scale has one of the major data warehouse providers today. And the technology has gotten to a great maturity. And the standards are consistent across them somewhat, which sort of allows folks like you guys to come in and really get drop a good deal of success. When I look at streaming technologies, I think we're still at the forefront. I think there's been technologies like Kafka, which have been very good on the piping side of things. But really, if you look at the full gamut of capabilities that SQL offers today, one of which is analysis and data transformations, those capabilities haven't really been standardized. And no single technology provider has really come to really drive itself as a standard. I fully expect us to do a podcast in a couple of years from now and have that change materially. But it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. Yeah, definitely. It's one of those few cases where I think the world's really bottlenecked by what's available in the tech. And there's sort of a trade-off here where when you have sophisticated SQL and, and you know robust data analysis, that the kinds of use cases being driven where but there's very advanced SQL, that can't be done in a streaming fashion just yet. There's there are really advanced LTV formulas. There's no system out there really yet that allows you to define that in SQL and then allows you to capture that in real time. Like that like the tech there is really not quite there yet. And so that's sort of a fun forefront where there's actually technology that's driving a lot of really cool value that just hasn't existed yet. Yeah, 100%. So with that, we're approaching time. Maybe I'll just first thank everyone for listening in. And thank you, Josh, for coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom. And really, when I think back at what this all means for our listeners, really, number one, I think is ultimately, so many brands today have made material investments in their data warehouses. And the, really, the value really can't be captured unless it's used in a real business application. And high touch and, and reverse ETL applications are really a starting point to extracting that data, replicating it into your Salesforce CRM, into your marketing applications, and into any other customer or non-customer facing application for that matter. When I look at where Simon fits in and our worldview, it's ultimately a matter of making sure that whatever data we have in our platform, A, is in parity with the data that was already centralized in your organization. So I touch a quick sort of sneak peek for our listeners on things to come. We're actually working on some joint capabilities that we'll be hoping to talk more about in the coming months, probably. And beyond HighTouch, we also have some close friends in the data space and Snowflake and others. But it's really our belief that an effective CDP strategy is one that starts with your data strategy, one that enables you to leverage the investments that your team is making in data warehousing, allows you to transform that data out of your data warehouse in a way that's fully replicated and consistent, with the data that you've invested in, and then finally allows your business stakeholders and marketing teams specifically to access the data to do work on their own. SQL has its place to do high-powered operations, but if every day you need to go and go back to your data team and run SQL to define segments or to personalize omnichannel experiences, that's really just a tough way of working. That's really how we view the world moving forward. Anything with that, Josh, I missed before we wrap up? Yeah, I guess not too much to add other than I'm really excited for our upcoming partnership. I think everybody who's listening to this is going to be probably very excited by like our unique ways of pairing our products together. And I'm really excited to launch that. Great. And for anyone listening in who wants to learn more about High Touch, how can they, how can they do so? Yeah, so our application is actually self-service. If you're interested in trying out, I would say it's pretty low friction. You can actually go and sign up fully self-service on our website. One destination within High Touch is free. And so if you want to start being syncing with your warehouse in one single destination, you can actually do it for free and fully self-service online. So 
check us out at HighTouch.io. Great. Well, thanks, Josh. And thank you again to everyone listening in to this episode of the Data Unlocked podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about Simon Data, you can visit us on the web at simondata.com or you can email us at hello at simondata.com. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. You've been listening to the Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. You can listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale.